Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. I've been chasing this guy down uh, for probably about, I would say, since the pandemic started. Uh, but this is one of my uh, biggest mentors in the salon, in the professional beauty industry. But I thought it was just in that realm until I got to spend time with him. And then when I got to be in his salon, it, he took me to a whole different place as far as mindset. Um, and then, he doesn't know this, but I didn't know that he was as powerful as he is from stage. So I got a chance to meet him, be around him. He's super humble. He's not talking about anybody, like he's not talking about himself. He's always talking about everybody else. Then he showed up on stage at a summit, uh, which is a Paul Mitchell event. And I was like, oh, that's my buddy Frank. And then he got up on stage and everyone's mouth was on the floor. Um, this man, I mean, honestly, probably one of the best speakers I've ever seen in my entire life, owner of Salon Visage, owner of Frank's Barbershop. And to his own, like, this is how he calls himself. I'm just a barber. So please welcome to the uh, show, Mr. Frank Gambuza. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Wow. I didn't know all that. Thanks for telling me. Well, I tell you, Frank, the, the, right off the bat, man, I didn't know. Um, and, and you're not the, the type of guy that would tell me that like when, when you walked in the room at the, at the summit, um, you hopped on stage and I was like, oh, wow, they're going to kind of showcase Frank. He's the man. I know he's got all these things behind him. And, but the power that you have as a public speaker um, is absolutely phenomenal. How long have you been doing that? How'd you get into it? Where, where, did, where to start? I've been doing it a long time. Uh, but when I first got into it, I was an assistant at this. Oh, let me shut this off. I'm sorry. The Statler Hilton, New York, used to have the National Beauty Show. I'm talking 1971, two, three, right now. And uh, so the international used to be at uh, the the convention center on 59th street. And the national show is at the Statler Hilton on 34th street, Manhattan. And I was going to be this main attraction barber's assistant for the weekend. And uh, so I prepped with him all day Saturday. The guy was absolutely amazing. And the reason why I'm saying the guy, because I don't want to use his name, because what happened is that night he went out and drank more than he should have. And he couldn't get up Sunday morning. <laughs> so they said, okay, Frank, you're on. And I said, on what? I had never done a stage presentation. I have never done it. And they put me on stage at the Statler Hilton. And now the platform was probably a foot off the floor. And it was kind of like a, a booth in the, in the alley, you know, I mean, it was one of those deals where it was sink or swim. And uh, so that was like 73, I believe, because I'd been doing hair about two years by then. And I started in 1971. So uh, it was one of those, that was it sink or swim baptism by fire. And uh, it felt good, man. You know, I had a little bit of skill. I had some good trainers. And so I just did what I knew how to do. And I just remember the person who was in charge of it before they, before I went up, he said, Frank, just work within yourself. Do what you know you know how to do. Don't try to be fancy. And that, when he said that, it gave me the confidence of just staying within my realm. And uh, it resonated. And I, you know, I was only 17 at the time. So most of the people watching were older than me. So I wasn't a prodigy guy, but I just got started at an early age because I was a shoeshine boy in a barbershop. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And I liked it. So after that, you know, this was for RK, the, the men's division of Redken at the time. And uh, then they put me to work after that. So it was, it was certainly uh, not by design, but it was by circumstance. Another pause for station identification and shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Finley Cars of Las Vegas. I tell you, next level in the car buying experience, and not only that, but the life of your car, the service that you're going to uh, experience is incredible. It's Finley Volvo Cars. Uh, lv.com and also brought to you by uh, bling shine serum the only product on the market that will add weightless moisture strength and shine and the only uh, product that has the endorsement of my mama when i showed her all the features and benefits she smelled it and she said this is the greatest product that you've ever done and i thought mom do you not uh, look at the features and benefits she said no if it smells like that it must work and i tell you every single woman needs a little bit of bling in their life and this can be purchased at kellycardinasalon.com 
Well, by being around you, uh, you know, with your, when you say by design and, and not by design, but by circumstance, by being around you, another thing that I heard you say is that you're, you were encouraged just to be yourself. You are like, if you get a chance, everyone out there listening, if you get a chance to be around Frank Gambuza, I mean, that's only, there's only one name like that. That's like a superhero name, but to get around him, it, you are so uniquely yourself and where, when did that start? Like, when did that part, that confidence come from? Was it from, did, is that the way that your parents raised you? Um, is that, you know, from, from the, uh, the family? What was, where did that come from? Yeah, I don't know if it's a confidence as much as it is like sort of insecurities, because if you ever act bigger than what you are, you better be able to back that up. Right. Or if you're not going to be truthful, yeah. Years ago, my wife and I met a hairdresser from Seattle, Washington. We were at a, a training for one of the manufacturers. And this guy was so impressive with what he had to say on stage about his salons that my wife and I wanted to go out to see him. Mm. So we called him and we booked it and he did everything he could to distract us from coming out there. I won't be in town that weekend. Well, how about this weekend? Well, I think I got some. And what happened, we, we wound up going out there. The IBS beauty show used to be in Seattle. And we said, you know what? Let's just like pass by and check it out, man. It sounds like, and it was all bull crap. Mm. The guy just talked out his tail. And so he made it sound way more than what it is. And my wife and I vowed right there that day, we're always going to undersell whatever we're doing just in case somebody gets in a rental car and stops by unannounced. We better not only be able to back it up, I'd rather it be more than what we say it is. So this way we have integrity and we're not bastardizing the industry by just chatting. There's a lot, a lot of hair shows, a lot of chatters that just, you know, talk about it or talk about when they did it, you know, 25 years ago. Uh, So, you know, I think it's more about just, you know, it's cliche sounding, just staying humble but I think at the end of the day, we're all in this together, man. And, you know, you came and blew my staff away with your skills. I sat in the front row, took three pages of notes from you. And you weren't even doing hair when I first got into business, right? Yeah. But yet that day, you blew me away with your skills. So if we just stay open-minded and stay humble, I, I, I think you ha- to not be that way would be foolish. Well, it goes right in line, man. I mean, because and it makes a lot of sense because when I went to Knoxville and if, if you're in the area, you need to get in that car and you need to go to Salon Visage and be able to experience this because I didn't realize that you had, that you had an experience like that. But I wondered why, like what you talked about when I got to Salon Visage, I was a hundred times more blown away than what you talked about. And I didn't know that that was intentional. Let's talk about the intention because you are a systems guy. And I, I don't know if I've got a chance to tell you this, but when the pandemic happened, we had a quick call, I think a quick call or a quick text back and forth. I think, I believe it was a call because you told me three things like to, to be able to do for the first one, you told me that we're not going to blow dry when we come back. And I was like, it just clicked. I wrote it down and I went to my wife and you know what my wife said? You're crazy. And I said, but Frank said, and she said, you're crazy. And I said, but Frank said, and we went and we did it. And I actually helped a couple other salons to be able to do this. And I tell you, it took us to a whole different place. Why is system so important to you? And like the systems and the the procedures, when I went to your salon, the procedures, I mean, they were out of, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, because the people did all the things, even more than what you were talking about. Why was that so important to you? Well, first of all, I think people really want to do the right thing. Uh, you know, for the most part, I mean, I, I just about got out of high school, right? So I'm not an educated guy. And most of the industry, and I can say it because I'm not, most of the industry does not have a high level of education, right? They're very creative, they, but they're the most compassionate, emotional group of people. That I, that's who I want to work with, man. I want to work with that kind of passion. But at the end of the day, they all want to do the right thing, but we always don't know what that is. Right. So if we just kind of put in place what the right thing is, I think human behavior kind of takes over. And when they see it's good for them and it's good for their family, we talk about that all the time about culture. And and in the absence of like a desired culture, you're going to have a culture. Mm. So is it by design or is it by circumstance? <laughs> back, back to that. 
So, you know, systems are in place because that I can manage. I, I don't know how to manage people. I don't think you can manage people, but I think I know I can manage systems. So if people are buying into the system, because it's really one system with multiple parts, that if they see there's people who they went to beauty school with that are now thriving 18 months, 24 months later, they tend to at least have the trust in you to do it. And I think performance always lags slightly even behind trust. So if you got a high level of trust, you'll get a high level of performance. Maybe not at the same level, but without trust, you won't get performance. How were you able to build trust that, that helps that performance? Where, where did that come from? Well, I think it's the number one attribute in any leader that if your words and your actions match up, you'll get the trust. I, I think too many times, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's falsely done, but I think sometimes leadership can talk about maybe the outcome or the desired outcome without all the hitches that take place to get there. And I think we just kind of keep it a little bit more simple that this might not be the perfect plan, but I'm going to ask you to support this. And if it's not, we'll readjust and, 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 you know, we'll make moves during the, if it's not right, we'll fix it. But we need us all to be in the same direction for the same reason so we can all win this thing. So I think when you win seven out of 10, they trust you. I think if you only win three out of 10, they don't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of the coolest things about you, Frank, too, is that you are, I mean, when, when I say brutally honest, you're not the guy who's going to be in somebody's face and be like, yo, you don't look great and just walk away. I'm saying you're brutally honest with yourself and about your, your situations. I've never been in a place where you've fluffed things and said that things are better than what they are. It's not that you have a bad attitude about it. You have a phenomenal attitude, but you've always called things for what they were. So how did that affect you and how did that help or how did that affect and help you through the things that we went through as a beauty industry? I mean, this is the first time in the history of the world that like I used to hide behind the fact that I could touch, right? We used to say we got the license to touch. No one could take that away. Then it was taken away. Wow. Right? Yeah, man. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that because you were real in it. You, yeah, we, we talked about this in our meeting this morning, the difference between awareness and acceptance. Like you're aware of what's going on in the world, but you don't accept anything but what you ultimately are moving towards. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think you got you to stay focused. And if you scramble, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to do too much at one time, you're doing a lot of, a lot of things decent. Mm -hmm. But I, at the end of the day, it's like less things better is kind of my motto. I try because I'm always having a million ideas. As a matter of fact, sometimes I can't even control them all. They're flying around in there. But I got to cherry pick like what's going to be the most beneficial to the team? Because I'm always looking at the decision making being based on what we call the triple win. And the triple win has to be kind of the identifier of the decision making. And that is it's got to be right for the company, number one. It's got to be right for the staff, number two. And it's got to be right for the client, number three. Whenever a decision is good for just two of those three, it's going to blow up and it's not going to have any sustainability. So, and you can do it the opposite. You can say it's got to be right for the client. It's got to be right for the staff. It's got to be right for the business. You know, Horst Reckelbach years ago said something on stage and I never forgot it. He said, you know, three entities have to make money to stay in business. The staff has to make money. The owner has to make money. And I'm thinking, what's the third? And he said, the company has to make money. Because a lot of times salon owners think it's there. You know, there's a split, right? Owner gets X amount, staff gets S amount. But what happens when the toilet bowl breaks? What happens when the roof leaks? What happens when you need additional product? Where's that money come from? It shouldn't have to come from the owner. And it shouldn't have to come from the staff. It should come from the business. Mm. So if all three of those are making money, that's kind of the triple win that way. You got to, you got to be sustainable enough that I'm protecting my staff's job. So there's times I have to say no to them. And I say no to them saying, I know you don't want to hear no, but it's really the best thing for every one of you guys. So this way we don't run into a jam later. And it's not always what they want to hear, but it's what they have to hear. So tell me the thing you were, we were in the parking lot. I don't know if you remember this, but like, I, I, I mean, 
I have patterned so many things after you, Frank, and we don't even get to spend that much time together, but we're in the that parking lot. Tr- my wife would tell you that could be trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you this, we were in the parking lot, man, right out in front of Salon Visage. And you, I had a question about profit and it was as if you, I mean, you just dropped a bomb on me and then just let it be. And you made profit for a salon owner for me. So simple. I wish that I would have known this formulation. Can you, can you talk about this? Um, because I think that there's so many people out there that are just unaware. Yeah. So my guess is, uh, you know, it's the old adage that you kind of pay yourself first. Yes, sir. But we, but you know, it's, in accounting, typically what happens is you got fixed expenses, right? And then you got shared expenses that are uh, negotiable. And then hopefully this profit, that's pretty much the three pieces of a P&L, right? Is you got expenses, you got variables, and then hopefully there's something left over. Well, it's called forced bottom line accounting. And this is where I'm assuming you're going. I mean, we haven't preempted this phone call at all. We don't have to. When you say I said something in a parking lot, I'm like, uh-oh, what did I say in the parking lot, man? It could have been anything, right? But when you talk about profit, because I think it's it's a way an owner can run a business in advance knowing they're going to make money. Mm. Or if something... Like right now, look, most salons I know, right, the magic number seems to be between 20 and 30% that everybody's down. Well, if it wasn't a pandemic and we were down 20 to 30%, we'd be losing our minds completely thinking we're going out of business. I mean, if if the, two years ago you were on track to be down 30% for the year, you, you'd think your life's coming to an end. Right now, we're almost accepting it as, quote, the new normal, and we're having to find ways to readjust. But the one thing I'll never readjust is I'm not going to work for a year and hoping I make money at the end of the year. So how do you do it? Right. There's a hundred pennies in a dollar. That's, that's kind of the math, no matter how you shake it. So I know I want at least 10 of those pennies out of every dollar that walk in minimum. All right. So let's just say for a formula 2021, I want to make 10%. Well, a 10% has got to come off the top into a fund outside the company. And I got to run the company on 90 cents out of a dollar. And if I do that, I know in advance, if I do a million dollars, I know I make 90 grand or a hundred grand in this case, right? At 10%. Yeah. But if I wait to hope at the end of December next year, that there's a hundred grand left over in the account, never in a million years will it be there because we'll find all kinds of reasons of what we think it has to be spent on. You know, Jerry Gordon was a mentor of mine out of Chicago and Jerry, Jerry just, he got in the industry just to use it. He, his mom was a hairdresser. I think maybe there was, he was third generation. He didn't really want to be a hairdresser. He wanted to be a finance guy, but he saw all the money that passed through salons. And I say passed through because for the most part, we bring in a lot. But some hairdressers don't even get to keep any. Some salons don't even get to keep any. So they say, oh, we, you know, you, you, we make a lot. We don't always make a lot of money, but we touch a lot of money. Mm. So how much of that money are we touching? Are we going to get to keep? Well, instead of it being an anomaly at the end of the year, I'd rather make that decision in the beginning of the year and figure out how to run my business tight. See, because when you first open, you run your business tight enough to not even make a profit. You just want to keep the lights on. And right. I mean, cause we're all undercapitalized. I opened with seven grand at 29% interest that yeah. Like that should be illegal. And I thought it was a, after 25 no's and somebody says, yeah, I didn't even care what the, ter- I didn't even know. I signed that thing when I even know what the terms were. I just wanted to have a shot at cutting hair, man. And uh, so, you know, we call it reverse bottom line accounting because the bottom line is your first bill you pay before rent, uh, b- before salary, before commissions, before utilities, pay yourself. And it's not paying yourself as a hairdresser or, or paying yourself as an owner. It's paying the business. Mm. So the business could be sustainable enough 
to be able to move forward because we put all this money into training. We get the, I mean, I don't know how, but we have so many people that have been with us 20 years plus. I mean, we owe them a lot, man. We got to protect their families during this pandemic. We, we didn't lose anybody. You know, afterwards, we lost a few based on the fact that we couldn't bring everybody back full time because of social distancing and all. But we got to constantly make decisions that protect our staff. Because if you have a happy staff, you'll have happy clients. Wow. So when you were when you were saying too, I mean, uh, people's minds are blown right now. And this is not just the professional beauty industry. I think that there's so many businesses out there that do not choose how much they're going to make for their company before they actually start. This blew my mind. I, I had wished at the time, I think I, I think I had my company for 10 years when I got a chance to come to Knoxville, Tennessee and go to Salon Visage and spend time with you. But, you know, I mean, I, obviously I could live in the past and wonder like, oh my gosh, what would have happened? But, you know, as we move forward, it was that, that, that choice. Let's talk about Frank's Barbershop because this, when you showed me this, like, I saw you light up like a little kid. Like we were, you know, doing the salon. You were showing me the salon. The salon is amazing. And then you were like, I got to take you to the barbershop. And we were driving and you were like a kid on Christmas. And you showed me all the things. I mean, this place is like unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Um, where was the concept? Where did the concept come from? Where was the inspiration? Well, you know, the, the reason why it lit up because it was, it was like 360 in my career. Cause I started off as a barber shining. I started off as a shoe shine boy in a barber shop. So barbering is where I started prior to going to the Dustin's in London and doing women's hair. I was, I was working in a barber shop, learning scissor over comb and shaving balloons. So when I was taking you, I was taking you back to the beginning of my career. But what, I don't know if you, I might've told you, but I was also taking you back where Salon Visage started. Mm. Because the building that that barbershop's in was the the old Salon Visage. And the reason why that came about, when that place came for rent, we knew if we can get that place back, we already we already put the electric and plumbing into that building. So to do a build out, we were going to save about 70 grand right out of the gate. You know, and we knew what the infrastructure was in there. So it had way more value to us than it would have to any other business. So it came back 360 of where we started our business. It came back 360 where I started my career. So it, it just kind of started off to be a cute idea to read the sports page and have a coffee with the guys. And before we knew it, we had lines out the door wanting men's haircuts. We, we were pretty early. I mean, this was, we, opened it, we opened it in 2010. So, wow. well, actually it was 09 when everybody, when the, when the, uh, the economy was tanking and everybody that knew anything about hair said, do not ever open a men's salon, man. Are you crazy? Especially now with the economy, the way it was. And it wasn't because the economy, the way it was, it was just the situation presented itself. And because that was my background, I knew I could train people how to be a barber in a heartbeat. So uh, that's why I got so lit up about it. But, but at the end of the day, I mean, that we're, we're doing over 200 haircuts a day in that shop. And it turned into a serious profit center. I was just hoping it would break even and we wouldn't lose money. <laughs> and, it, and it became real. So then we opened it. We were forced to open a second one. We had 14 barbers going full blown mm -hmm. to the point where we were still turning away 24 to 36 people a day. We had to open a second one. It's only two miles away from that one. And it's, it's, it's matched it. And then we had the great fortune of someone very, big in the business, <laughs> like it as much as I did, uh -huh. <laughs> you know? Here we go again with the shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Piper Diamonds for all your jewelry needs. My necklace that I get complimented all over the country and all over the world. Uh, my pennant was made by Piper Diamonds Company. This place is absolutely phenomenal. When you're looking for that special something for that special someone, Piper Diamonds is the only answer. It's piperdiamonds.co. And it's also brought to you by Kelly Cardina Salon in Las Vegas and in Chicago. This is top-level service, guys, without the ego and, hands down, the greatest shampoo experience that you will ever have in your life. This will create uh, an evangelistic-type uh, experience. You will be talking about this for years and years to come. The wash house, uh, completely separate area, com uh, different sound system, soundproofed, head, neck, and shoulder massage. You will be over the moon with your experience, and you can uh, schedule your appointment at kellycardinasalon.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode.
Well, it's, it's incredible to be able to see. And if, you know, hearing your voice, hear you talk about the stuff, like there's this, there's this other gear because you're taking circumstances that are to other people, it would be challenging, right? So, you know, you don't go to a Ivy league college, you don't have a business degree when you go in, um, you know, even back to when you said that you went on stage the first time and you know, the guy went out and didn't show up and you just had an opportunity. How have you conditioned your mindset or was that, was that just in you from when you were a kid? Um, because it seems like to me, any time that something was thrown at you, even pandemic wise, like for me, when the pandemic happened, I knew who I was going to call. I mean, I called two guys, one van, number two, you like, well, the, I called van too. Just so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I got a chance to talk to you guys, you guys have this, this, ability to take circumstances, look at them in a completely different way. How, how do you, how would a listener um, start to shape that mindset and where did yours come from? Okay, I usually always have that mindset, but I can tell you the pandemic threw me for a loop. I mean, it, it wasn't like, okay, we got this uh, big challenge on our hands. Let's roll up our sleeves and go. I, I, I can honestly say that was probably my least reactive way of, ch of fighting a challenge out of anything. I've, you know, we've almost been bankrupt. We had a partner that was stealing from us, roll up your sleeves, go to work. Uh, the economy hit no eight. You know, we were down a million dollars one year prior to the year before you roll up your sleeves, go to work. The pandemic, there was no playbook, man. And, and I really didn't know, not that I didn't know who to turn to because everybody was just guessing at what might be right. But I, I kind of froze, man. I, I, I didn't do as good as I should have or could have. And eventually we got there. Uh -huh. uh, but at the end of the day, that was one of the times that I had the biggest challenge probably in the beauty business. And that might be why we took till now to do this. I wasn't prepared to do this with you because I didn't feel like I had good enough information to be talking authoritative to anybody because I wasn't even sure what to do myself. Well, I think that that is strength in itself in, in you even talking about this. Let's go back to young Frankie, right? So young Frankie, seven, 10 years old, um, probably doesn't think that, you know, or maybe he does. Um, but getting to the point where Frank is to be able to have the opportunity to lose a million dollars in a year or, or have the opportunity to have businesses closed down, um, it, would it would at seven to 10, were you already seeing that and knowing that that was going to happen? Um, or was this kind of a star Wars to you? Uh, you know, you, now, you, know. you know, I've always seven and 10, I was competitive. I played ball, had great coaches. Uh, I, I was kind of the cocky guy in the team saying we could, <laughs> I, was, I was usually the captain. Okay. You know, I was a guy that won the ball. I wanted to take the last shot. Uh, you know, if it was to get up at bat, I wanted to swing. If it was pitching, I wanted to throw the curveball. Uh, and my, my wife has that same kind of background, actually. You know, she was the county queen and uh, whatever she did, she took first place in. And I think, I don't know if it's a mindset because I remember I, I had been ice skating about three weeks. And one Saturday morning, I was leaving the house. My father said, where are you going so early? I said, I'm going to a competition in ice skating. He said, what, you just started doing this. What are you doing that for? I said, because I think I can win. And he giggled. I came home about an hour later with a trophy. I said, see, I told you I could win. And he just shook his head. And it was it's one of them that, so what's the worst that could happen? I, I didn't win. So what? So I'm not afraid to lose. Well, I love it. And, and in business itself, I think that that's probably one of the toughest, uh, you know, points to be able to get over because there, there'll be people and, and I, I see them a lot and you probably see them a lot where they're like, you know what, uh, Frank, I've always wanted to open a barbershop in your mind. You're thinking, why don't you go do it? Like go do it and then learn the lessons from it. And that's probably one of the most important things that I've, that I've learned from you is like, you're willing to step, like you're willing to step in and go. And like you said, what's the worst that can happen? Um, when did that start to, I mean, was that just from birth? Were you born with that? I think so, Cal, because I think back to whenever I was, you know, whether it was moving from New Jersey to Tennessee, whether it was to finding somebody, it was a finance company that was willing to lend me money. I mean, I was broke as a joke. 
But I said, I'm just going to find, I knew I was going to find money somewhere and I knew I was going to open a salon and I knew it would be successful because, and what's really funny is the first three months I was open, I, I, I got really nervous because at the time, Curl and I and Big Hair was kind of in and I had just got back from London doing like swing geometric cuts and I, I not I didn't even know how to use a curl iron. So I, I took a real big stance on saying we don't do curl iron work. And I knew it would ruffle feathers, but I knew it would also be the point of difference. And I think that, you know, everybody's turning left. I, I want to make a right. If everybody's going right, I want to make a left. I, you know, Van talks about the purple cow a lot. Uh, you know, he, he loves that book where, you know, it's a, the cow fields are full of brown cows, right? So you want to be the purple cow to stand out and not so much for attention or anything else. But to me, your point of difference has to be, you have to stand for something. You know, you always heard the adage, if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. And I, I just never wanted to be just average. Uh, I, I didn't think it took a whole lot of talent to be average. So I've always kind of pushed myself. Well, being that purple cow, I mean, when you think about Knoxville, Tennessee, you do not think about one of the most successful salons in the whole country. Now, you're going to say, you're going to downplay this and say there's other people that are doing these things. But I tell you, like, being that purple cow, talk about you going from New York. I mean, going from New York to Tennessee, this is a pretty, I mean, that's, that's not the normal route. You definitely took you. You definitely, when everyone was going left, you went right on that one. So, yeah. talk to us about that and how the adjustment. Because, I mean, from a guy who lived in the South for a little bit, there's an adjustment period when you. But I didn't come from New York, and I ain't Frank Gambuza. I mean, and so when you came into Knoxville, uh, talk about those those things. The, some of the challenges that you had to go through. Well, it was challenging in a way, but also the timing of it paralleled with having a child. So, and it was a girl. So I knew I needed to get out of the New York area because there were too many guys like me. And, and, <laughs> and I had a daughter. So I said, uh-uh, we ain't staying here. So my wife and I moved to Knoxville. So I was, and I wanted to open the business. So between having a new child and trying to get a business going, I didn't even have to worry about it. Mean, I was worrying about pampers and shampoo. You know, I mean, that was it. So it was 24-7 engrossed into, because, you, you know, debt will motivate you. You have a kid, you're broke. Uh, you, you can be motivated easily by debt. So I was very motivated. <laughs> and uh, like I said, seven, they gave me $7,000. I went to Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, friends of mine were, had just remodeled the salon and they were throwing their furniture out from the previous build out. I said, no, no, I need it all, man. I'm building a salon. So, you know, they say one man's junk is another man's treasure. And this was the truth. I went down there with a U-Haul. Uh, I think I spent about five grand, five of the seven on furniture. And I bought mirrors and chairs and hydraulics and fit as much as I could get in the, the U-Haul, drove it back. I bought a white, uh, uh, I bought cans of white spray paint and a spray gun. And we rented this house that was kind of, I wouldn't say run down, but it wasn't like, wow. And we painted, spray painted everything white. And we had about a thousand dollars left over to stick in the kitty. And I said, I'm just going to cut half from morning to night until this thing happens. And that was kind of the beginning of it. Wow. So, so I didn't have time to be in the set. Yeah, I had to adjust the conversations and all, but I'm a people person. Hell, I'm Italian and from Jersey. We could talk to any, this, my wife says <laughs> I could talk to a rock. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's, so, let's talk about your wife too. How long have you been married? Well, right. We're, we're right at uh, 30 years. Okay. So what do you say to people who say, um, you know, if you're going to have a successful marriage, you cannot work with your wife. And people You're probably tell me, right. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, when it's good, it's great. Okay. But when it's bad, when it's bad oh man, we, we got some stories that are probably not fit for this uh, uh, podcast. But, but I tell you what, it's, you know, like I said before, if you win seven out of 10, you're doing good, whatever it is. <laughs> and, and I have a fabulous wife and I win a lot more than seven out of 10. We do as a couple. Yeah. But uh, there's been some bumps in the road, man. So uh, how is it? How is it too, Frank? When you're, I mean, you're you're one of the most systematic guys I've ever seen. Like, you know, to be able to walk into your salon, it, I mean, it it's like a um, it's like going to see a show in Vegas. 
Like people understand and know their role. They, they're bought into it. They own their role. And as they work through, they're not doing it because it's what, they supposed to, what they're supposed to do. They do it because they absolutely love it. And I've, I mean, to see this orchestrated is phenomenal. You see it in the barbershop also. How does this translate into marriage? Because I'm a systems guy too. And I remember getting married early on with my wife, Brooklyn, and me thinking, okay, I know how to run this salon. So uh-huh. I'm going to be able to do the same thing in my marriage. Uh, did it work for you? Did that work for me? <laughs> I didn't try that because I wouldn't have thought that could work. <laughs> Where were you, Frank? Where were you when I was early on married, man? Uh, you, you know, the really good part about Belinda and I being partners in business is fortunately I'm a haircutter. She's a colorist with depermentalized, right? Uh-huh. My strengths in business, I love dealing with leases and attorneys and uh, landlords. She hates that. She loves dealing with staff and clients. And and that, not that that's not my thing. I love dealing with staff. Uh, you know, so we have enough, there's enough work to do where she does what she's really good at. I do what I'm really good at. She trusts me. I trust her. Now we had to develop into that. Because I think at first you want to kind of critique everything, right? I mean, we'd even argue over what kind of napkins we should have at the coffee bar, you know, and like, then you learn enough to say, I don't care what kind of napkins we have at the coffee bar, right? It's not worth an argument. You know, maybe she have pinstripes, maybe she have a logo. No, it should have polka dots. They should be yellow. No, they should be black. Uh, who knows, right? So the littlest things just got in the way of our marriage. And then, you know, there's times where the staff gets in the middle of that too. You can really screw screw an atmosphere up that way. But we, we grew through it. We matured and learned, you know, that it was beneficial to support each other. And if I'm dealing on something, if I knew a little bit more about a topic, she'd let me make the decision. If she had more time and effort into it, she'd make the decision. And if she didn't like my decision, she would remake the decision. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you find a way to make it work, man. You just try to get better every day. So what would you say to, uh, you know, you, we hear this all the time. You're, you've been involved with the school business. You're around uh, young hairdressers. And almost every one of them says, uh, I mean, there's two majors that I hear all the time. Number one, I want to work on celebrities. Number two, uh, I'm going to own my own shop or going to own my own salon. What would be your advice to, those, to that kid that's starting off and saying, I want to do celebrities, which you work with them, but you don't talk about it? Like the... You, you work with people who are, I mean, everyone would know. And if we said the names, everyone on this show would know whether they're in the hairdressing industry or not. But you don't talk about that. And so what would your advice be to that young kid? They are the two most, I mean, you're right, because I, I get the same things. And again, we've not had this conversation before. I think the biggest challenge is, is that's the end result everybody wants, but they're not always willing to pay the price to, to get there. That's kind of been my experience. Now you do get some that do, and that's how they get there. But you know, if you want to be a rock star, you got to buy a guitar. If you want to be a rock star, you got to go to guitar lessons. You know, if you want to be a rock star, you got to play with no audiences for the first year or two. Uh, And if you could withstand all that, and not take your eye off the prize, chances are still not great you'll get there because only so many will get there. But, man, you, you can't let nobody get in the way of that. And you got to be willing to do it. You know, I know kids that were great athletes, man, but they just wanted to come to the game on Saturday night. They didn't want to practice Monday through Friday. Well, you, you're not going to get to the big leagues if you're not going to put the work in. You know, so what I say to them is if that's what you really want, Find out from people who have gotten there what the road looked like and then either match it or better it. Don't you're not gonna there's no way around it. You you gotta go through it, man. You gotta get through it. You gotta roll up your sleeves and go. And just when you're tired and think you can't do no more, you gotta dig down deeper and do more. And only so many are gonna get there. There's only so much room at the top. So you got to, we talk about, uh, you know, uh, reverse engineering or we talk about bottom line accounting. Well, it's the same thing. You reverse engineer your career. You want to be a rock star hairdresser, find out all the things it takes to do that. And then just keep backing up, doing them, doing them, doing them and hope that one day you'll be one of them. But it's, there's no, 
nobody's coming, man. There's no freebies. Well, to see that <clears throat> when you're talking about the, the hard work part of it and, you know, you putting in the work. I mean, I even see you at this point, like at this point in your career, how many years you've been in? 49. 49. At 49, I see you out work. Like when I came the last time, I, I was with my aunt and I stopped by the shop because I wanted to uh, say, uh, say hello or so, uh, something like that. And where is Frank? Frank is there taking clients, working on his craft and mastering his craft. When people talk about, now you, I don't think that you would ever, from your humble state, um, I, I don't think that you would be like, beat your chest, I'm a master, but I can say it. And what are some of the components to mastering something? Uh, I, monotony probably is one of them. I mean, you gotta just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. Uh, you know, it's, it's like people talk about advanced techniques or advanced haircuts or advanced upstyles. And, you know, you, you're giggling already, right? There's no such thing. It's just perfected basics. Wow. And, you know, they asked Vince Lombardi, a great football coach one time, is the, the week of a Super Bowl, they said, what are, you, what are going to be some of your tricks and surprises to win this this weekend? And he said, there's going to be no tricks and no surprises. We're just going to tackle better, block better, pass better run faster, jump higher. You know, you're just going to do all the basic things it takes to be great, but continuously doing them over and over and over. And, uh, you know, again, there's, there's no magic pill. You just got to keep grinding it out and doing it. I, I When a, a staff brings me a mannequin to look at, to, to either check it or judge it, the first thing I'll ask him before I even look at it, is this the very, very best that you can do on this? Are you done? Or are you taking my time out to look through it to tell you what you need to do to keep going? And nine out of 10 times, they'll say, well, I'll be back. And they go find something to make it better. And that's teaching people how to think. You know, instead of me just, even like my wife, who's a great color teacher, she'll never tell people what the formula needs to be or how to fix it. Or She'll just ask a bunch of questions. And she'll either nod ahead yes or nod ahead no, but she's going to keep asking questions so they can self-discover it. So critical thinking is what it takes to be very successful in anything, right? So teaching people how to critically think, I think, is a role we play as leaders to be able to develop people. You know, I, we have, I'm very connected to the University of Tennessee athletic program, and these coaches only get players for four years to, quote, develop them to become superstars in their program. Sometimes less. If they're really good, they leave early. Sometimes we get people for six, eight, ten years. What do we get to what are we doing with them, man? Are we developing them daily, monthly, quarterly to make them better? Because I think that's why people tend to leave. They get bored or they don't feel like there's not enough equity there for them to hang on, right? So if I keep developing people and showing them how to get better and better and better, there's a respect level for them to say, hey, I want more of that. So as leaderships, we got to develop people. How do you develop leaders? Well, I, I, I think that comes over time. I don't know if you develop them. I think they it's monkey see, monkey do. Our leaders, in the, uh, I think they're naturally leaders. I don't know if they're born or not, but you talk about seven years old, 10 years old. You know, If we look at the leaders in this industry, I mean, whether they played soccer or football or baseball or ballet or music, they were doing good things early on. I mean, I, that's the one consistent thing I see all the time. And in our case, I, I just show people what our culture is, man, and the people that buy into it and want to do it wind up becoming natural leaders inside the company because of a belief system. I, I don't think it's a talent as much as it is a desire. How do you feed, like when you talk about desire, how do you feed that desire or how do you draw that out of them? Because when, when people are around you, Frank, they want to be better. I mean, when I, was, uh, when I got a chance to be able to spend time with you in Knoxville or even the small amount of time, which everyone is clamoring for you in, in L.A. when you came off the stage because you murdered it and dropped the mic. And I mean, it was phenomenal. But how do you, so you know what I'm talking about, too. You know, I didn't know that. <laughs> hey, you know, no, no. When you did the, this, this was the Australian story. This was the cab driver story, yeah, the cab right, driver right. story you did. I mean, when you, when you have that kind of situation, obviously like 
People are going to desire it, right? When you're at a hair show, people are going to desire it. How do you get someone to desire that on a day-to-day basis? Because this is where a lot of leaders have challenges or even owners. Not every owner is a leader, right? So they own a company, but they... And maybe they, at a a holiday party, they can get people to be like, yay, this is so awesome. Or they can, when they win a contest, but I've never seen someone do it the way that you do it, where you have people desiring to be better just by being in your presence. How do we construct that? Well, Kelly, I think it boils down to all the things you do and nobody's looking, man. It's do they have the respect level for you that they know that you're going to bring it day in and day out because it's easy for me to tell people they got to be good. It's easy for me to tell people they got to be in dress code. They got to be on time. They need to spoil a client. They need to have self-respect for their coworkers. But if the leader's not doing it, then it's just all words, right? It's not culture. Mm. So I, I think culture is here's how we do. My definition of it is here's how we do things here. All right. I don't care what the industry's doing. Uh, and I shouldn't say I don't care, but there's so, there's so much to do inside the salon that you, you got to do it. It's so when your words and actions match up, I think people want to be around people like that because your integrity is never being questioned. And I, I won't, I won't say mine's never being questioned, but I, I think that's where the trust comes in. Right is is when your words and actions match up it's easy to tell people what to do i'd rather show them what to do show them what to do yeah right i mean it's easy to to say it but it's just words but if i'm not doing it i mean if i'm walking through and there's a piece of foil on the floor and i don't pick it up and i ask somebody else to pick it up there's no way they're going to become a leader because they i'm not showing them how to be that you know they should mimic you you know, and, uh, and that's the same way, like a department head. Who, who do I want to be my department head? It's the person who performs best in that department. Who do I want to be my blow dry educator? The person that does the best blow dries. Because emulation is huge. So if 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 you're going to come into my store, I want somebody, I want people to cut hair like hell. I'm going to say, here, don't ask questions, just watch. Just start mimicking this guy. Right? And that, that's how champions are born. How were you able to, because, and there's very few people, again, like I I put you in a, in a, a class of your own in my life and in my heart, because there's people that are systems people. And then there's people who are people, people, right? And a lot of times you don't find the same. There's a person that's a person person that are a people person that is the, the artiste that just does it. And it's just magic and you can't replicate it. Then there's the person who replicates everything that doesn't have a heart and soul. But the person who jumps to the Frank Gambuza level is the person who connects the system to the people. How are you able to do this and make it personalized when, I mean, let's, let's be honest here, Frank. Okay. There's three ways to cut hair, right? There's one length layered and graduated. That's it. That's all there is. There's short, medium, and long. There's layered, graduated, and one length. That's all there is. So, how are you able to make a guest feel personalized when you have all the systems broken down, like literally to a T and I've watched it happen. Well, you know, I used to think it was like 75% skill, 25% behavior. And what I realize now it's really not about the haircut and I'm not diminishing technical headdressing at all. I think it, I'm, I'm a, I love technique. But at the end of the day, it's about connecting with people. Mm. You know, I mean, it's it's because what happens is, that, and I think where the disconnect is to a young, uh, our, our youngest daughter right now, Sydney, just graduated the Paul Mitchell School in Knoxville. And the other day I watched her do a blow dry and it was fabulous. She was so focused on the technique the whole time. She started talking with the client at the end of it. But she was so focused on making sure this blow dry. She, I think she knew I was looking too. So she wanted to make sure the hair was beautiful. Well, that's great. But when you're sitting there not being spoken to for five or seven minutes, it seems like 20 or if you're not being spoken to for 15. So I think we got to be careful. We don't just preach technique to the point where we forget about the bedside manner, right? We got to keep the connectivity and, you got to read the client's body language and all that. Yes, but that ain't going to come early on, but it's a matter of connecting how to make people look and how to make people feel. 
And if I had to say what business are we in, we're way more in the business of making people feel good than we are in making people look good. Oh, you know, everyone listening understands why, like I, I didn't, I mean, why I've wanted you on the show for so long because I mean, you drop bombs, but you just do them so casually, Frank, and you do them with your accent and that deep, uh, late night with love voice that you have too. Uh, so <laughs> if it- <laughs> I'm not doing with the accent, you are. <laughs> so a lot of people, uh, too, they, when they look at something like what, what you're doing, okay, so you took you, you were able to create a culture, and that culture wasn't about Frank. This is the crazy, like, as I've observed you, the, 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 the whole culture is not wrapped around Frank, and so you're free to be Frank inside the culture, and it's like you're almost an employee of your own company, right? Yeah, and then and you we did t- that intentionally, too. Okay, and then you take uh, Frank's Barbershop and you do this and you expand. How are you able to, because most people say, and I've heard this all the time, I'm aware of this, but I don't, I, I, I have yet to accept this. Um, the, a business will work when the owner's in it, but it will never work the same unless the owner's in it. And I don't believe that because I watch people like you that your business functions at a high level, whether Frank is there or not whether Belinda is there or not. And not to say that you're not going to show up to your business, but. Right, right. No, no. But there's time, I mean, there's times where uh, we're in Italy on a vacation and, you know, I'd hate to think the place is falling apart just because we're somewhere else. But, you know, I think that has a lot to do with managing moments. I think when you manage moments with people and they understand the importance of all the little things, a lot of times people say, what's the big secret? I don't think there's a big one. I think there's a lot of little ones. <laughs> and when you manage the little ones, man, and, and they know you pay attention to that. I think when people back to trust, I think if they trust you and Belinda and I look them in the eye and say, look, we'll leave it for two weeks. We trust you to run this place. Don't even call us. Even if it's burning down, call a fire department. Don't call us. You're, you're empowering people. I think they probably work harder and more consciously during those two weeks to make sure everything does go well. And you come back and you tell them how great of a job they did and how the freedom that we had knowing it was being run right is again, part of that culture. And it makes people want to do it as opposed to feeling like they have to. So wanting to having to, I think are two different things. And I, and I think that's where the whole teamwork comes in. And if, if you have integrity, I think people will uphold that for you. Well, Frank, to be able to see the the level of success, and when I talk about this, it's not it's not from a financial aspect. I mean, that is a, a part of it. But for me, watching you and being around you, um, I have in my heart, I've seen you as one of the most successful people I've ever been around because because you love what you do and I do. your passion about like you still have forty nine years in, you still got a little kid in you that jumps up and down. What is making that kid jump up and down right now? Uh, we're not there yet. You know, I, Sam Walton said it. He was always proud of where they were as a company, Walmart, but they just weren't there yet. And I don't think there is a there. There is no there. And I think once you understand that, because I think it could be disappointing and almost, uh, it can almost be a kind of a depressor if if you're waiting to get there. Like, you know, I look at all the things that are wrong with our company. Instead of being beat up over it, I say, okay, we're just not there yet. So be pleased with what you have done. Be excited about what you have done. But no, there's a lot more to do. And to me, I just want to keep going and get it done, man. And see, I used to, before I knew there was no there, I couldn't wait till we got there. And that meant, you know, like stuff would happen and it would be like the biggest mistake with a client. Like, uh, and I would say, how do we still do that after 30 years in business? Why I would get so pissed off over like the stupidest stuff. And here's what I've learned. Crap's going to happen. So there's two things I ask for now. When it happens, I want it to be smaller than the last time it happened. And I want there to be more time between the last time it happened. (laughs) 
So at least we're learning from our mistakes. But if I keep waiting for it to not happen, um, I'm going to turn, you would turn into a bitter old salon owner that didn't appreciate the current staff. And I mean, I've been around salon owners that talked about their staffs, like they, they didn't love them and or didn't even like them. And I'm thinking, well, man, maybe it's you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wouldn't want to work for somebody like that. Try not to be that. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, Now's the time to do some shameless promotion. This episode is brought to you by Squeeze Dried, a delicious, no-hassle way to get superfoods, vitamins, and nutrition. SqueezeDried.com. It's also brought to you by Cardenas Law Group, a high-level boutique law firm for all your personal injury needs. That's cardenaslawgroup.com. Thank you so much again for listening. Hopefully you're continuing to enjoy the episode. Well, understanding mm-hmm. and knowing that you're not there, I just think is incredible. What are the little joys that, that Frank gets now? Because, you know, again, when we go back to seven, 10 year old Frank, he knows that he wants the ball. He's going to, you know, do whatever it takes to win things like that. Um, but I can, I mean, I think we can agree that to, for you to experience the things that you're experiencing now if I would have told seven or 10 year old Frank, you would have been like, yeah, that's going to be great. That's going to be amazing. What are those little joys that you do now that are just nor like for me, uh, a little joy is carnation ice cream sandwiches. I do not like the store bought brand. I like the crispy wafer. Uh, the carnation has the best, I think, uh, ice cream and wafer together. And when I can have one of those, I am on cloud nine riding my bike. I just got a bike. Um, it wasn't brand new. My my neighbor was selling it, or he wanted out as a garage. And I got the bike, and I bent the handlebars myself to make them ape hangers. And when I ride that bike, it is rusty uh, in areas. And when people look at it, they're like, "That's an old bike." And I'm like. This is the best bike. This is the Bentley. This is the Bentley of Carlsbad right now. What are those little joys that Frank has? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think there's a few. We, we have five children, and they're having children now. Oh. So, obviously, the whole grandkid thing is, is uh, it, what's, I was always that guy that said, you know, I'm not going to be that granddad that's going to, don't count on me to babysit. I got things to do, blah, blah, blah. And you say that when you're 40-something, now that I'm 60 something, I'm sitting there saying, you know, it's pretty cool. So obviously that, that, that's big time joy. Uh, I love sitting in the salon as a client. I love sit. I just sit in different spots of the salon and watch it operate at a barbershop. And people say, what are you doing? So I just smile. Right. I'm just, you start reflecting back on what it took to get there and appreciate being there. And that's the same way with my wife. I mean, though, in this pandemic, we're just hanging home, drinking wine at the house, in pajamas watching Netflix and 20 years ago, I would have been, no, man, we got to go to the finest restaurant and you got to find a, you get the finest bottle of wine. Our 22 year old daughter turned this onto a box wine an organic box wine. That's delicious. Right. And I used to think, well, if it wasn't a hundred dollars a bottle, it wasn't good wine. And then I found out it's only $9 bottle of wine with like, you know, 80, $91 worth of marketing behind it. So, <laughs> You know, you just get it figured out. But right right now, uh, it's just people just going and seeing somebody in the salon who might only be there a year, and you see them bang out a haircut with, like, this beautiful line. And you remember it wasn't 12 months ago. They didn't even know how to section properly. Wow. So in the industry, that that's the piece that I love, the little stuff like that, where I see them shake a client's hand, not so much now, but, you know, I see them shaking a hand or thanking them for their business or saying hello to them that we've been expecting you. It's all those little things that I think truly just make you take a deep breath and smile. So when, when you take a deep breath and smile and you, we, we take you back, right? So let's, let's rewind the clock, say 35 years at that time, you know, 35, 40 years, we're almost struggling to build a clientele. Maybe you weren't, maybe it came to you naturally. I don't think it did because you work hard at everything you do. Um, if you were able to sit down with that, Frank, knowing what you know now about how to build a guest list, how to be able to do these things, what, how would you, because the reason why I say this is because a lot of times I tell people the dating game would be so easy now. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're married. You shouldn't be talking about the dating game. I was like, no, I'm not talking about the dating game. I'm just saying it would be easy. 
All you would have to do, literally, to a woman is walk up, look them in their eyes, give them an honest compliment, and let them know you want to hang out with them. You wouldn't have to have a line. You don't have to have the right car. You don't have to have the right house. But I didn't know this back in the day. So I was striving for the house, for the car, for the stuff. I was trying to be this and that. And now I realize that every woman that sits down in my chair literally just wants a, a attention, like mm-hmm. undivided attention. So it would be easy for me to, to counsel my 19, 20 year old self on how to date. Let's take this Frank, the wise Frank, and let's take him back to when Frank was starting to build his business. What advice would you give to that Frank? Uh, that's a big question. Um, <clears throat> you know, my number used to be 26 haircuts a day. That That's six days a week. Good Lord. And I mean, we banged it. My, my wife used this day. She did five grand a day behind the chair back in the nineties. And because we were, us two were carrying the company. Okay. Uh, you know, but here's what I think about. It wasn't, and it wasn't for money. I mean, we had a lot of kids and we needed, we needed money. Right. But I think money is a reward for excellence. Mm. And I think it was always a, not about just wanting to do more hair or, wanting a bigger salon. It was about, we wanted to build a brand and we made that decision. So I would probably say, even if it took longer, taking some time off probably would have, I mean, we, we would go six days a week and then we go from the airport after work Saturday, straight to the airport, hold a model call somewhere till one in the morning, prep heads, get up five thirty in the morning, you know, being in motel rooms with lampshades off, uh, trying to do a neckline. You know all this, man. And I'm thinking, you know what? We probably could have stayed home, and I probably missed more ball games for my kids than I should have. I probably missed some of my daughter's cheerleading competitions that I shouldn't have. And uh, I, I probably would have created a little more balance, is what I would tell that, Frank, because uh, you'll get there. I, I, you live on edge, I think, when you're younger. Like, will it happen? Will it happen? And I think the older guy says, yeah, it's going to happen. So if it takes a little longer, that's okay. Wow. I just want to hang out with you all day, Frank. I made the whole podcast because my kids, I have McKenna, who's 11, and uh, she's just about to be 12, and then Maddox, who's nine. So the reason why is because I want to take iconic people like yourself. Like when, when I talk about you, I mean, literally, and I don't get a chance to tell you this that often, but I mean, you are... Um, one of my biggest, if not the biggest inspiration to me, uh, in not only in this business, um, the professional beauty industry, but also, um, just, just as far as life and the way that you approach it. So I started the podcast because of that. I wanted to take people like you, iconic people like you, and I wanted to humanize you. I wanted to have my kids look at a Frank and all the things that he's accomplished. And to tell you, anyone who's out there listening, Gambuza's Barbershop, guys, is going to be all over the country. We're talking about this now. You're going to see him in every single town. I mean, you're going to see it all over the place. He's very humble. I'm not about him because, I mean, it's going to be phenomenal. But I wanted them to see that with a great attitude and phenomenal work ethic, an iconic person is just a person. And so what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna at 11 and nine? If you could use their names, it would be awesome. Um, (laughs) What advice would you give to them? McKenna and Maddox? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, I would tell them to listen to their daddy because I think that you got way more going for you than you tend to think you do because you, you inspire others the same way you say I inspire you. So I would tell them to listen to their dad and get to know him. I would also tell them to find find something they love because money, they say it's not that important, but it kind of ranks right up there with toilet paper. You got to have it. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, you got to have this stuff. But, you know, passion will bring it. Just be excellent at what you do and just know that, you know, if you're the best at what you do, it don't matter what that is. My grandfather told me one time, he said, if you're going to be a grave digger, be the best grave digger there is. Because then, you know, you'll be sought after, right? So whatever it is that they want to do, just 
go for it, man. Don't let nobody get in your way. We say, don't let nobody pee on your parade. Uh, you know, just stay focused, get it done. And just know that. And, and if you're halfway there and you don't like it, shift gears. But let excellence be what rules you, not money. Wow. Frank. Frank, I got to ask you for this. I got to ask for a part two before you even get off the line. I got to get <laughs> you to commit to it because I learned very early on. If I ask my parents in front of other parents, if they could stay tonight at my house, then my parents <laughs> had to say yes because, and I'm going to put you on the spot. I wouldn't generally put you on the spot, but I'm going to ask for a second because I mean, being around you, being able to soak up, and it's not just the words, and I want you to understand that if you're listening to this, this is not just the words. If you visit Salon Visage in Knoxville, Tennessee, you visit Frank's Barbershop, or you visit uh, Gambuza's Barbershop coming to every city near you, you will see the same thing. You will see the heartbeat, and you will see that it's about the people and not about a man. And I want to thank you for that, Frank, because you have, seriously, you have blown my mind today. You blew my mind the first time I met you. Every single time I see you, uh, although I'm going to give you a hard time because you were such a celebrity when we were in L.A. and you came off stage that I didn't even get to hang with you. <laughs> Everyone was clamoring for pictures. Oh, Frank, it's Frank. And I was like, it's my boy, Frank. You know what I mean? Like, I know him. And everyone's like, you don't know, Frank. You don't know, uh, Frank. Uh, I called you out in the middle of the presentation so they knew I knew you. Are you kidding? Hey, man, I think the world of you, buddy. You're doing a great job for the industry. Uh, uh, I haven't answered you yet whether I'm going to be on a second time, so I could have avoided it, but uh, I could have spent this whole subject where you would have forgot you asked me. Uh, I'll be glad to do it a second time. I'm honored. Uh, you know, Hopefully somebody heard something that makes a difference in their career. Uh, and if they're in Knoxville, they're more than welcome to come by and visit and and check it out because look, we're all one man. It's one tribe. Well, I, I thank you. And now's the time. If you're, uh, if you're listening to subscribe, click the links, uh, make sure that you patronize all our sponsors. But the number one thing that you need to do is you need to check this man out. Salon Visage. Um, you need to check out what he's doing. Frank Gambuza. This is honestly, uh, probably one of the greatest leaders that I've ever been around. So, uh, thank you, Frank, for your time. I appreciate you. You're officially off the hot seat. So you're going to hear some music for a second and stay on for me. Okay. Thanks, man.